Hey everyone, my name is Maddie, the lead pastor at Epiphany Station, and I'm excited to give you an opportunity to be part of Financial Peace University. If you don't know what Financial Peace University is or FPU is, here's a little bit of a clip to give you an idea of what it does in the lives of people and families just like you. Check it out. Most stories that have a happy ending don't feel like it along the way. We borrowed for everything. Want a new couch? Go finance it. Want a new TV? Go finance it. Want a new car? Go finance it. My whole philosophy was credit cards. I'll just work another week. <sighs> Swipe the card. Everything kind of started to crash. We started to see our marriage drop away. I personally owed $750,000 in debt. I was totally hopeless. You need to decide if you want to be wealthy or if you want to look wealthy. When somebody told me about FPU, I grabbed hold of it like a life preserver. It gave me hope that we could make our marriage work. Knowing where your money's going is a huge life changer. Nobody owns me anymore. Nobody. It just opened up communication big time. All of a sudden, we were back together on a crusade. We changed our family tree. I'm here to do my debt-free screen. Yeah, how much have you paid off? Four hundred and fifty-six thousand. Eighty-nine thousand. One hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Three, two, one. This financial peace stuff is working. People are getting out of debt and they're becoming millionaires. We are the first generation that are millionaires and given more than we ever imagined we could yeah. give. I now have a net worth of $1.7 million. Hope is real. Financial peace is our way to help you find a different financial future. If you want to be part of it, you can get signed up out of our welcome station. More information about when the classes run and when they launch in the beginning of May can be found in the back of your program. We hope to help you find a better future. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that didn't watch the video, my name is Maddie. I get to be one of the pastors here. And uh, we get to have a conversation this morning, a very unique and special conversation, because it slots right in between the end of our last teaching series on fear and the much-anticipated Easter weekend worship experiences next week. Today, we're going to have a conversation about why you are sitting where you are sitting this morning. This isn't one of those surveys of the confident people at the front and the people at the back. This is more about why you chose to come here and why there are people all around the world that do this thing called church. We're talking to talk about what church is, why it's so important, and why we do what we do. Because there's so much reason for us to want to know the reason for it. I think all of us are here, and I think if we were to ask everyone in the room, what's your reason for being at church this morning, I think we would probably get as many different answers as there are people. We have these reasons like, well, I just wanted to check it out and see what it was like, and I want to say thank you for choosing to check it out. It's a scary thing. We're, we're scary people in a scary gas station, how it used to be. For some people, going to church is a habit. It's just kind of something you do. For some, it makes them feel better. Some people come to church to find community and family friendships. Some people come to church because they want to worship. They want to uh, be taught out of the Bible. Some people come to church for a myriad of reasons I will never be able to understand. But as you leave today, the only thing that I want you to know more about is the reason that church exists. 
Not the reasons we have for being here, but the single and solitary reason that the church exists today. Because all of us would maybe say that we go to church. And the potential in that is we can go to church all the days of our lives and completely miss out on the reason that exists. We can miss out on its purpose. And really, it can just become like one of the most boring hobbies in the world. But if we were to understand what it is, we can understand our part in it. So what is church? Church is people. In the most simple format of breaking it down, church is a group of people, a group of people that decide to get together. And it doesn't matter how big that group is or how little it is. It doesn't matter the location. It doesn't matter the community. It doesn't matter the denomination or the model of how they do it. But it's a bunch of people that get together, a ragtag bunch of ragamuffins just like yourself. What distinguishes this group of people from any other group of people in the world, though, is the reason that they get together. The reason that they could be considered a group of people. Most people come to church, start going to church because they are looking for something. They are looking for answers or looking for reasons or or wanting to know maybe what they're missing. You might know specifically why you're here this morning. You're here because you're desperate. It's Epiphany Station. Why else would you be here? You're, maybe, you're, maybe you're here because you would like to maybe know what it means to do family or marriage. Uh, maybe understand money. Maybe get to grips with your purpose. Find the meaning of life. It could be that you want to know what's going to happen after life. For all of these reasons, we are searching and we're looking for an answer. It's the searching that brings us together and it is the answer that keeps us together. Because the answer that the church has was spoken a long time ago by a man called Jesus. And when I say the answer, I mean the answer, the answer to all of the questions that you've got, all the things that you're searching to understand. Jesus gave the answer. Jesus said that his purpose in life was to come and to shine a light on the meaning of life. The purpose and the reason for us drawing breath and and doing anything at all. In one such opportunity when he was teaching, a man brought his question to Jesus Maybe not out of the right motives, but his question nonetheless. And he brought the question to Jesus about what happens after life. We find that in Luke chapter 10, there was a man who was an expert in religious law. And he came to test Jesus with this question. He came to test him and he said, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus flips it back on him and says, look, you're, you're smart. You're a smart cookie. You can do this. You are an expert in religious law. You tell me what you must do to gain eternal life. And the guy's like, okay, I'll take a stab. I believe it looks like this, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. Oh, and maybe love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said, right, got it. Go get it, tiger. Do that. And you will gain life. You will live. Jesus, in that moment, answered every question we can ever have as to meaning, as to purpose for this life or the next. And he gave it in a very short prescription and description, a very short answer that only has two parts. It came to be known as the greatest commandment. The summary of everything that God has tried to communicate through the Bible, through prophets, through teachers, and through his church. Love God. Love people. That is the purpose for all things. Now, we might spend, and people will spend their days trying to find a different answer. Maybe an answer that they like more. 
Maybe an answer that sounds more intellectual, uh, more sublime, or just maybe more religious that they, they like the sound of more. But no answer that you will ever find will come close to the importance of what Jesus answered to this solitary question. The answer to living life best, the answer to the next life and its best. This he gave as the reason, the reason for any man, woman, or child to be alive and to live well, to love well, to marry well, to parent well, to work well, to spend well, to give well, to serve well, to live well. He started and finished the conversation with this, love God and love people. That's all you'll ever need to know about then. It's all you'll ever need to know about now. And that, that belief, is what the church has founded itself on for millennia. The shared belief that Jesus was right. That when he answered that question, he gave the right answer. So churches all across the world have sprung up based on this shared belief that they have together. The church is more than just the style that it holds to. It's more than the difference it has from the other ones. It is more to do with the answer that Jesus gave than how we go about living life. And you are here, and, and I am here, and, and I think anyone who goes to church is there because something about that answer resonates. Something about that answer actually kind of grips at the spirit and the soul and says, hey, this might be right. It might be true that the most important thing in life is love, that there could be nothing greater than for you to know and love your God the way that he has pursued and loved you. That it might be that the greatest reason to be alive is so that you have the privilege of showing real love to those around you and to receive it from others. So Jesus came not just as a messenger from God, but as his son to start the church, to start it based on this foundation alone, that loving God and loving people is the answer. But he didn't finish there. That wasn't all. It wasn't just to come and answer a question. Jesus seems to think that with those answers, it should want to push us towards then maybe making some changes, maybe doing things. I believe that Jesus has a plan for the church, the people, and it's a rather audacious plan, that it would go from a bunch of lookers to a bunch of doers, and that Jesus would place an intentional mission and calling on each and every single person that shares the belief that he answered the question right. And he gave us what we call today the Great Commission. The Great Commission that is basically summarized in the moment where he gathered all of his disciples together. He gathered them all together that we see in Matthew 28, and he said to them, look, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus took this group of people who had a shared belief and he gave them a shared mission. A shared mission that they would all be a part of, that they would all maintain as their own personal mission. And in it, he uses the word disciple three times. Now, as much as we might have wrapped the word disciple in lots of good churchy speak, disciple simply means this, a follower, someone who chooses to devote themselves to following someone, and in this case, following Jesus. 
And what he says is the Great Commission is, hey, followers, go and make new followers and teach them to follow. He gives a Great Commission, a mission to the church and says, it's not about you. The thing that I'm going to call you to do next, it's not about you. It's going to be about others. This isn't going to be so I can make nice pockets of people who are self-interested, self-centered, and self-segregated from the world. This is not going to be about how big you can grow your organization, build your big buildings, and rock your style. This will not be about denomination superiority. If you're going to do church my way, you're going to do it by making matter what matters to me. That you would become a missional group of people that would actually understand that what matters to God is other people. That we would make everything we do about them. That we would be secure enough in our belief that loving God and loving people is important enough that everyone else in the world needs to hear it. That is the Great Commission. And I believe that Great Commission was given to us so we could hold it as our own individual commission and mission for those of us who share this belief. That we would choose to be people who say, yeah, it's me that's going to make disciples. That's what I'm here to do. That's my job. And I believe in the mission of the church. And I believe that the mission of church succeeds when the people of the church want it to succeed. When they choose to make his mission more important than my own, than ours, the thing that we want to maintain. I don't know how you grew up. I don't know your experience of church in the past. But the way I grew up, it looked like church was more self-interested than others interested. It appeared to me where I was just in my small corner of the world, which at one point ruled a third of the entire world, but we'll not go into it. It looked like they weren't caring about others, that this message was okay to speak of quietly and in hushed tones and to keep to themselves. And it confused me and it surprised me when I read the Great Commission, like, hey, we're supposed to go out there. We're supposed to tell people, why are we, why are we not doing that? starts off looking for this answer, and God gives this answer, and he says, look, Jesus has the answer. What you're looking for is Jesus. What you're to live for is Jesus. And when he did that, the first church could not help but choose to live differently. They could not choose anything other than renovating the entire way that they did life. When they were first gathered together, the first descriptions of any church that we have of Jesus Christ is phenomenal and is beautiful and it's glorious. We find it in Acts chapter 2 when they first get together, and this is how it's described. It says at that point, all the believers, not excluded, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is not some idealistic picture of the church that once was. This is the description of what every church is called to be. 
It is the prescription of how we are called to live differently in light of our shared beliefs, in light of our shared mission. These people were not members of some special club. They were not spectators at a weekend event. They didn't go to church. They lived it. They changed their lives for it. They sacrificed daily to do it. And because of that, they saw the power and the beauty of it. I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a community where people are being saved on the daily. I want to be able to see needs being met simply because those who have can meet those needs. I want to be living where worship is a way of life, where the church is shared. If we share the beliefs and then we share the mission, the church becomes a shared family. And the big question that rolls out to us is, <laughs> do we want that? What would it take to do that? Will we ever be able to have that, this description, this beautiful thing that is church? And the answer doesn't lie with me. It doesn't lie with church leadership. It lies with you. It lies with you and your decision as to whether or not you want your church, wherever your church may be, to be like this. Because I'll be honest with you, we could have a really nice church. We could. A really nice one. We could make sure we have really nice facilities, and we could have really nice programs. Maybe in the future we could hire a nice pastor. I don't know. We could do nice things. <laughs> I got too excited. <clears throat> but we could. And it could be all for naught. It could all be a huge waste of time, energy, and effort because it would be about us. And it would not be about the mission that Christ has called us to. On the other side of the fence, we have the option to do what we were always supposed to do. Follow. Individually. Not to rely on another to lead, but to follow ourselves, the head of the church, which is Christ. To follow him closely. To make loving God and loving people the two most important things. To want to make new disciples. To not be okay with a cheap imitation of the church. We could have that. We could enjoy that. We could be that. And it all rests on what we choose to do, whether you and I will contribute to that kind of church or not. Every week when we have our conversations here, we want to make sure that they don't just end up like ideas, things easily forgotten, but we want to challenge you with practical ways to take this step. And really the conversation today surrounding what the church is, is a challenge to be the church. Maybe not the church that you once thought was, but the church that Christ has always intended us to be. And the first next step to take in choosing to be the church would to be a follower, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe every human being has something unique within them to our species. Animals don't have this. We have a desperate craving and want. Something that resides within each of us, and I believe it is God-designed and given. Something that makes us need to know, to have the questions of purpose answered this life and the next. And I believe that Jesus came to share the answer, to share the opportunity for us to hear the answer. And that answer was, your God loves you. And he wants you to live a life knowing you are loved by him and loving him in return. That you would come to Jesus for your life, and then you'd want to serve Jesus with your life. 
that you would trust that loving God and loving people is enough. No frills attached. Nothing else for you to prove yourself. But simply your belief in God's son, Jesus, to bring you into relationship with him. And I believe that today, God is desiring to pull each and every one of us closer to that love. To make a decision to be a true, genuine, and sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. No matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum of belief, that we would see that he loves us and he wants to be loved by us. And in that, we would be the church we were always called to be. If you find yourself on the cusp of wanting to make that move and to make that decision, it's why the church exists, to make new disciples, to teach new disciples how to be disciples. And we would love to do that for you and with you. If God is working on you today and grabbing hold of you today, I'm going to challenge you not to leave here today without doing something about it, some way to respond. One way that you could respond is actually letting us know via one of our connection cards. And these are here so that in a true Norwegian fashion, you can let us know you want to make a decision and we can follow up with you on your turf. We can follow up with you in a way that will make you feel like we actually want this for you. If you're willing to grab one of our yellow connection cards, you can jot anything on there from, I don't think you've got a very nice voice, to, yes, you do have a very nice voice. And then somewhere in the middle, important things, like about your relationship with Jesus. And we would love nothing more than to talk about with you what that means and what it means for the rest of your life. You can find these spread all around the facility and at the welcome station. If you jot a name, a connection, contact detail, and then just maybe what it is that you're thinking, we would get in touch with you this week. You can drop them in one of the red boxes around the facility. The less Norwegian challenge to responding today is to talk to somebody, to talk to someone from our team. As we wrap up our worship experience, we'll have the music team up here leading us in the last song, and we'll have our prayer team down front. The prayer team is here to pray with you, to answer questions for you, to lead you closer to our Jesus. And if you are there today, I want to challenge you to make that step, either during the last song or after the experience is all done. They'll be there for you because we believe that Jesus is the answer to your questions. And that he gave us the greatest commandment so that we could understand it, so that we could live a life without confusion, but instead one of hope. The next step for us to be a church or be the church once we're willing to become a follower is to be a leader, to move from the great commandment to the great commission, to choose to contribute to leading other people towards Jesus Christ. And we are all gifted differently to do this. You are all unique and weird, peculiar people for a dang good reason, is that weird and peculiar people just like you need a person like you to lead them to Jesus. So we believe those gifts sit within everyone, that not everyone can do everything, but everyone can do something toward the mission that God has us on. And we want to equip you. We have discipleship training classes. We have small group communities. We have the ability to teach you how to lead somebody to Jesus. We want to be alongside you with your family as you dedicate to lead them in that direction. We want to do whatever we can to get you plugged in to doing something. And if you feel like you want to take maybe a small step off the bench and onto the field, then I'm going to ask you as you choose to be a leader to grab actually one of our green connection cards. These green connection cards, they sit around in the same spaces as the yellow ones do, and they are there for you to be able to join the mission, for us to find a way to get you plugged in in some way and fashion, to find out who you are, what you're gifted to do, and then to get you plugged in somewhere, because we believe all of us are called. This calling that we have 
It's not on an organization. It's not on a pastor. It's not on Epiphany Station. Epiphany Station isn't even the church. Epiphany Station is just a name we use to talk about a bunch of weird people that are part of the church. The calling is on you. You are the church. We are the church, and if we are going to be the church of Jesus Christ, it will be us that decides to do it. Jesus is the head of the church. He is our leader, he is our king, and he is our savior. So he gets to write the commands and the orders, and he defines who we're going to be. And he has not called us to spectate the greatest movement of people in the world. He's called us to be them. So as we consider what it means for us to be the church, I want you to have time to reflect on that. We're going to worship here in a second. The music team's going to head up here. I'm going to pray for you guys, but take the time to consider, if you have shared beliefs in the shared mission, will you take a share in the church? Will you do what we are called to do? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that we are given responsibility, that you have called us to live differently, and because of that, we get to step into this vision you have for us, that we would be part of the beautiful thing that is the church that we would see needs met, we would see people loved and cared for, that we would see people find the answer to life. So help us understand our own personal part in this. Help us not to get complacent. Help us not to see the success of others and, and just hope that's enough. Help us to lean into our calling, the personal desire you have to see us follow Jesus. Father God, we want to trust you with our lives and put all of that trust into loving you and loving those around us. So help us not to leave here without a burden, without a desire to do it different. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.